welcome to the Paidea Education Podcast. I'm Dr. Bernie Wilkinson. I'm Richard, Dr. Richard Marshall. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm ready for this or not this morning, but let's give it a whirl. Wait, it was, once again, um, we're close to our regular time, but it's early on Friday morning. It's been a long week. Oh, well, it's been it a, has. It's been spring break week for, those, for us here in, in Polk County, but... It really hasn't been much of a spring break week for either of us. We've been we've been working a lot this week. Our children had spring break. Did Our they? kids had spring break. Yeah, they were off this week. You probably I don't know whether you noticed that or not. I well, I did. Okay. I did, but they had spring break. Because what happens is I would get text messages and said, "Hey, can we go here and go do there?" And I said, "I'm at work." I, you know, right. that's a mindset. I Ask your mom. We have to do something for spring break, and I, I, I am. I'm working during spring break. <laughs> Ask your mom. Right. Let her take you. That's right. <laughs> but, it, but what is significant about spring break is that the week after spring break is what? Oh, here in Polk County, at least, and probably most of Florida, uh, the week after is uh, we get right right back into statewide testing. We dive headfirst into our high-stakes testing program here well, in you know, Florida. What is nice, though, is that they at least don't do testing on Monday. So right. they'll test Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Right. Two days of English, two days of language arts, and two days of mathematics. Right. Tuesday, so, Wednesday, Tuesday through Friday Tuesday through of Friday. next week. So parents, get ready. Have your kids rest up. Give them... Give them uh, Peppermint, I think. Peppermint and yeah, peanuts peppermint. were the two things that were recommended when my kids were in elementary school. And, and this is, uh, of course, um, we're talking about the third grade FSA testing. Right. Um, I'm not sure if all the other grades are doing it next week as well, but I, definitely uh, third grade is doing it next week. So. And we are in the testing season. We've we talked are, about that many times during uh, this uh, academic year. That February, March, um, April, that's our testing season here in Florida. Um, so um, we are in the throes, in yes. the thick of testing season. Which brings to mind um, today's podcast. And I, you asked me during the week uh, as we were preparing for Friday, uh, asked me what the title of it would be. And I was not sure what I wanted to title this. Uh, but as I read and thought about it and put it all together, I thought um, I had this very clear impression that the battle uh, for the hearts and minds uh, of uh, public education um, is still being waged around right. the country. Right. There, are, there are issues smoldering. Some are breaking out into bright, hot flames um, around the country. And I thought we'd talk about some of those things today. Right. So I, I was voting for the title of this podcast to be The King Returns. The uh, King Returns. Yeah, Tolkien's third uh, from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But instead, we will go with The Battle Continues. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention The King Returns because in New York, King got thrown out. They You know, you're prescient. Um, I have no idea what that word means. <laughs> no, you're... Uh, I thought you called me precious. Well, of course, <laughs> you're pre- but you're also prescient. Um, because John King was named uh, Commissioner of Education in New York a short time ago. And John King is a, is a strong advocate of high-stakes testing and rigorous testing and high standards and accountability. And um, it was a controversial decision um, in New York that John King was made commissioner. He has been asked to leave now, and he's been replaced by somebody who is not so strong an advocate of accountability, high standards, and high-stakes testing. So it was interesting. Uh, well, and I have a feeling King that- is out. And I have a feeling that that's going to play into some of the things we're going to talk right. about today. Why did you say the king? Why, why did you want that as a title? 
I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. When we talk about battles and things like that, of course, I think about um, some oh, of those epic, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Those epic battles. Okay. And, and you went like to see a movie last night, didn't I you? I did. Superman. I went and saw Batman versus Superman. We'll have the to talk dawn about of just sometime. We will. Some other time. We will. We will. We could do the, yeah, we could do the psychological. But some other time. Some other time. Not today. Okay. We right. have too much testing to do today. That's right. Because about. today we want to talk about uh, it is testing season. And um, I wanted to mention something um, about this high-stakes testing that, that we're doing around the country. It's not just in Florida. But one of the um, uh, more, I would say sad, but I really want to say sorted, S-O-R-D-I-D, sorted parts of um, high-stakes testing here in Florida. Um, if, you, if you've been following these um, cases, um, a couple of years ago, uh, parents... Um, requested that their son, um, who is, um, had multiple uh, physical and cognitive challenges, uh, parents asked for an exemption for him not to take the standardized tests, and they were told no, indeed, he also had to take standardized tests. Um, well, he, he was 11 years old, right, in hospice, mm-hmm. uh, so he was really not doing well. I mean, he, his health was failing. His, his medical conditions were pretty dire. Right. And he was, as, as Dr. Bernie said, he was in hospice, which means this was an end-of-life um, situation. Right. And the it's... parents were saying, well, can we skip this? And, and they were told, no, you can't skip it. And the, the crux of this problem, I mean, the parents could have opted out and just said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to subject my son. But they learned that his teacher would have been punished. in some way, because she is also accountable for him taking this test. And they didn't want her to be punished. You know, they they wanted to protect their son, but they didn't want to do it at the teacher's expense. I laud these parents for that. Uh, This case was resolved because the young man um, died. He passed away before the test, um, before the test date, before he had to take the test. Um, But, and you say, well, that's an isolated case. Well, perhaps not, because we have another situation brewing this year where parents of a 15-year-old girl have uh, requested that she not have to take the test because she has uh, neuromuscular and cognitive deficits. She has seizures. She's on multiple medications that are also having an adverse effect on her cognitive abilities. And her parents have asked for an exemption. And um, Pamela Stewart, Pamela Stewart, by the way, is uh, the Chancellor of um, Education in the state of Florida. She's the head of the Department of Education. and um, she said, uh, she said, no, um, your child uh, must take this test. Um, and the reason is uh, Pamela Stewart didn't respond, but uh, a spokesperson from the Department of Education responded and said that it is mandatory for children in public schools to take the tests. Mandatory. In other words, Um, At some point in our recent past, the state legislature said, you will do this. Um, And again, um, this this whole notion of, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today, this whole notion of the, um, a legislature, any state legislature coming in and saying, you must do this, um, is troublesome. We've talked about it before, it's troublesome to me because many times these decisions are made without any input from the stakeholders. Super, uh, superintendents aren't consulted, principals aren't, teachers aren't consulted, parents aren't consulted, but these decisions are made, these state laws are written, sometimes at the last minute, and then every, everybody in the state has to adjust to them. And one of these is, 
it's mandatory. It's a state law. I mean, you can actually be prosecuted. I mean, people can be punished right. um, for not doing these tests, even though you've heard us say many times that the tests are invalid, that they right. don't measure what they purport to measure, that they're being used um, incorrectly. Um, and yet it's mandatory that we do it. And, it. and it's a crazy kind of system that, that, that has evolved. Right. And I'll, I'll post this in the, in the show notes, but this is a, there's an article from the Washington Post that talks about this, this particular case. And, and what you were, you were talking about, the department spokesperson, and, and I just thought that the, the quote here was pretty interesting because uh, it's from, by Megan Collins, who's right. just identified yeah. as a department mm-hmm. spokesperson. And, and undoubtedly, she's not specifically talking about mm-hmm. this particular case, but she says, in quote from the Washington Post, Florida State Law... St- Florida state law states that participation in statewide standardized assessments is mandatory for students in public schools. However, there are two types of exemptions that can be submitted by the school district to the state, medical complexity and extraordinary exemption due to circumstance or condition. All requests are considered on an individual basis. And the the primary concern, and I think that one of the directions we're gonna go with this is that that's pretty vague. We really it's, don't know what that means. It's vague. And when it says they'll go to the state, who at the state is making this decision? Right. I mean, do they know these children? Do they know these families? Do they know the circumstances? Who at the state is making this decision and how is the decision being made? Again, I, it, it, it is vague. And then second, who's making the decision? You know, it's what happened in managed care with medicine. Right. You know, a neurologist wants an MRI, but somebody sitting a thousand miles away makes a decision about whether an MRI should be done or not. When they don't know the case, they don't know the person, they don't know the situation. And many times, it's not even a person who knows the benefit of an MRI. That's right. It might not be another neurologist who's looking at the case and making the decision. Right, right. It yeah. could be an accountant. Yeah, so, so and again, the, the issue with, with the vagueness is that, you know, when we talk, the first case you were talking about from a couple of years ago, I would mm-hmm. consider that an extraordinary case. That the, seems the, to me to the be The student is hospice and... I mean, he's in hospice, he's in the, the last stages of life, and that's not exceptional? Well, and again, you know, sure, he was exempt. Um, he he had, was granted his exemption, but the teacher still would be punished. Right, right. You know, so even though he had the exemption the teacher would still be punished. And the, the other thing that struck me about this is um, um, that it's mandatory for all children in public schools. Right. Which I also find a little bit problematic I, because if, if testing is good, then it's good for everybody, right? I had this conversation with a parent the other day, a parent of a student who goes to a private school, and, and they were concerned about some things. and um, Or no, actually, doesn't go to a private school. He's homeschooled and is considering going to, to a private school. Oh, mm-hmm. And she's talking about having him take the standardized tests and everything because, oh, well, I should do that to have him prepared. And I said, well, you know that colleges don't require any of these standardized tests. Mm-hmm. And she stopped and she paused and she said, wait, what? And I said, right. I said, you know, it's just required for graduation from public high schools. And so she said, oh, well then, so I'm gonna go ahead and have him tested because if he goes to this private school, I want him to be prepared. And I said, well, if he goes to the private school, he doesn't have to have this test. She paused again, <laughs> and she said, wait, what? <laughs> so it doesn't even make intuitive sense because you're right. If, if this testing is, is valid, if it is important, if it is a good measure of that, yes, students are meeting these expectations, mm-hmm. 
why isn't it required for everyone? Yeah, it's it's as though the citizens who it's it's children who go to private school aren't entitled to the same advantages as children who go to public school. Right. You know, if testing is so good, then why doesn't everybody do it? How about this case? Take a take a ninth grader, mm-hmm. any ninth grader in any public school in Florida, and he fails the end of course exam in right. algebra. Right. We, we talked about this one, too. <laughs> and then he goes to a private school, and he doesn't need to take any of those tests. Right. Yeah. And he still graduates mm-hmm. with a high school diploma. He wouldn't have graduated if he had stayed in a public school. Right. But he can go to a private school, not have to worry about any of these crazy exams. Yeah. Any of this high-stakes testing. Still get a high school diploma. Right. By the state of Florida. Right. You know, and... and so if you... It's interesting because, again, we had the same discussion because her son is going to be entering into high school. And, and, you know, we talked about how you could technically, at the end of your high school career, technically speaking, you could have a 4.0 GPA and not graduate because you didn't pass the algebra EOC. And that will happen to some children. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. Right. Well, either the algebra EOC or the biology EOC or the world history EOC. or right. the, Is it world history or U.S. history? One of those that you have to take. Yeah. You right. have to pass. It's world history. So. But anyway, Pamela, so back to Pamela Stewart and this, this, this testing decision, the exemptions. She then made the comment. Uh, this was uh, a letter that she sent to teach. This was a letter that she sent to teachers. A couple years ago, in 2014. After this case of the boy who died. She said, we cannot and should, we, we cannot and should not return to the days where we tacitly ignore the needs of children with special needs by failing to ensure they are learning and growing as a result of teachers' excellent work. Now, first of all, that's patronizing. Um... If she really believed in teachers' excellent work, she'd be making some different decisions. Beside, that's beside the point. Point is, um, we learn nothing about these students learning and growing as a result of this test. Well, and we also know nothing about how well a teacher is performing, how well a teacher is doing his or her excellent work right. from these tests. Right. The way that that boy... S- scores or that what the efficacy of that boy's teachers have nothing to do with how well he does on that test because in fact he can't read the test he can't read the test he can't take the test he can't read the test so for her for any person to say that uh and and to use children with special needs in this way i mean that is that is um so disingenuous to use children with special needs to make the argument for high stakes testing they are precisely the group that should be um, exempt from taking high stakes right. because it tells us nothing about them. Right. I mean, these are children who cannot read the tests. What are we learning from kids who can't even read the test? They can't even hold it in their hands right. because of their neuromuscular disorders. They can't hold it. They can't see it. They can't read it. They don't understand it. What on earth are we learning um, about them or their teachers? Absolutely right. nothing. Right. It's a state law, and because it's a state law, we have to do it. You know, we also have a state law that you have to be married in the state of Florida. You can't live together. You know, you can be put in jail if you're cohabitating. Yeah, right. Yeah. But and uh, but we don't we don't enforce that law, but we enforce this law, um, and it's just it's just reached that point of craziness. Um, so where does this stuff come from? Well, as we talked about last week, it comes from these decisions 
that are made by lawmakers, sometimes at the last minute, which is what this year's education law uh, happened at the end of the legislative session. Right. And now we have in the state of Florida another, an, yet another experiment that has been foisted on everybody without discussion, without consideration, where students can move wherever they want, mm -hmm. whenever they want, mm -hmm. and they will be immediately eligible to play sports or to do any extracurricular activities, primarily sports, whenever they want to do that. Um, and we talked last week about the nightmare that it will cause with busing. Right. You know, how do you, are you going to do a different bus schedule every at the end of every nine weeks? I mean, you can barely do one at the beginning of the year. Now we're going to do four bus schedules a year um, every time kids start transferring from school to school. Also, it's going to lead to massive recruiting of the um, star athletes. Right. I mean, they're, they're, we're going to get into bidding wars right, for these students, right. for these high school. These are not college students; these are high school students. And we know how much trouble the NCAA has with watching, yeah. uh, with monitoring the recruiting practices um, uh, to make sure that 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 everything is done uh, legally and, and according to schedule. Now you're going to move that down, and you're going to have the same problem in high school once again. Like high stakes testing, these laws are passed without thought, without consideration, and without consulting the people who are going to have to implement them. Um, think of it in any other career, whether it's police or fire or um, medicine or law or, or any other profession, if the legislature just made laws at the last minute that everybody had to adjust to. It's just not the way to run uh, our institutions. Um, also, the other thing that concerns me from this, uh, before we leave the business of this last bill, is um, there are two kinds of charter schools in every state. Mm -hmm. There are public charter schools, uh, charter schools that are closely affiliated with the school district. For example, in Polk County, we have McKeel. Mm -hmm. It's a charter school, but it's really part of the public school system. Right. Okay. Then you have another type of for-profit charter schools. These are private companies who come in and start charter schools. And one of the bills that got passed, the same bill that allows kids to transfer whenever you want, the same bill said that any state money used to build or improve private company real estate. In other words, I have a private education company. I get a charter for the state of Florida. I get approved, I build a building, I buy land, I build a building. That's all done with state tax dollars, mm -hmm. taken away from right. public schools. Right. Okay. Any money that they make from that by improving the buildings, building the buildings, let's say they go out of business three years from now and sell everything, the state doesn't get that money back. That goes to the owners of the practice. So in other words, Entrepreneurs are moving into the business of education through these for-profit charter schools. They're getting state money, and they don't have to pay any of that money back. And, and the state doesn't benefit in any way. They have to give the money to the private. That's like, that's like me starting a car company and getting public funds to start it. And I buy 50 acres of land on Memorial Boulevard, and I just put that money in the bank. Okay. Right. And, and, and let's also maybe throw in there real quick the fact that these charter schools receive money from the state at a rate per student that is far greater than what the public schools get. Right. So right. the public schools get X dollars per student. Mm -hmm. Well, the charter schools get X dollars plus more right. per student. Right. Uh, so it's, it's 
unequal. Right. And these are the, these are the kinds of laws um, that are being passed today. And I think that that um, there there has to be some way for citizens, whether they're superintendents or PTAs or teachers groups, there has to be some mechanism to stop this kind of these kind of legislative decision making that we all have to adjust to and you know most people assume most people are surprised when they hear that we had no input teachers educators had no input in this high stakes testing business right. i mean i think most citizens assume that well these were these are educators who sat down and made this decision and it's what's best for kids and it's not right. these are these are legislators making educational decisions and with no input from anybody um, it's just their particular acts to grind their particular political philosophy and they pass these things at the last minute without debate without discussion and then everybody else has to live with them particularly our kids have to live with them i mean these are exper- we're experimenting with our children right and, and and i think that this this is where the battle continues this is where the title of mm-hmm. our podcast today comes into play is that the battle really is at the legislative le- level right. That's because right. decisions are being made without Without the populace really having an idea about what's being what's being done, what decisions are being made, that's right, and, and without really knowing who's, what research, what whose ideas, who thought, whose thoughts, and what evidence there is to suggest that these decisions are going to be effective that's in, right. in getting us in the direction that we want to go. That's right, and and remember that department heads have to be approved by governors and legislators right. and, and all that. And so if you have a state legislature that philosophically believes in the privatization of public schools or high-stakes testing or teacher accountability, if you have a legislature that wants that, then you're going to get a secretary of education who right. wants that. Right. They're not going to hire somebody who's opposed to these things, even though they should be. I mean, anybody who's in charge of education today should be opposed to these three things, privatization, high-stakes testing, and high standards and accountability. Exactly. Educators around the country, around the world, are opposed to those things. But any secretary of education, because they have to be approved, are not going to get approved unless they are advocates of those things. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the, the fact, the, uh, the institutional fact of, of uh, education today is that um, it's driven by laws, not by educators. Right. And, and the, this sad, scary thing is, is that the things that the, the direction that we continue to move in with education are those as we've talked about before are those issues that sound have really good sound bites they, they sound, sound really good behind the podium when you're when you're running for office or when you're trying to right. you know I'm going to take a firm stand on you know we're going to get our education back where it needs to get mm-hmm. and then you know and then when you attempt to actually implement that and again implement it without an educator right. that's providing that's right. you some support and some ideas, right. it, just, it just falls short. And, and yet every business book in the country says you have to have buy-in. You have to have people, the workers have to buy into the idea. Right. And that's not happening in education today. Education is, uh, decisions are being made by outsiders. Um, two other examples. Um, I don't think anybody minds that Bill Gates became a billionaire. Right. Or Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Or Cuban. What's the name? Cuban. Cuban. He owns the Dallas. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. I don't think anybody... Donald Trump. I don't think anybody minds that these people made a lot of money. Right. Okay? 
Um, and they might be smart guys. Mm-hmm. Okay, might be some yeah, of them. I mean, I, they may be genius. They may be brilliant. Okay, but nobody knows everything. Okay, right. They're very good at what they do. Sure, but they don't know everything. Um, I wouldn't want Bill Gates to do neurosurgery on me. He right. might be a smart guy, but he's not a neurosurgeon. Right. Um, I wouldn't want Mark Zuckerberg to build my house. Right. Know, because he, he might be real good at what he does, but I don't think I'd want him to build my house. Right. All right. However, these people who have billions of dollars are affecting educational policy. They are having a direct effect. Right. Bill Gates latest foray into education. You know, he gave $100 million to uh, Hillsborough County Schools. Right. You know, that didn't work. Correct. Right, right. Mark Zuckerberg did the same thing in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Right. Okay. These men who are told how brilliant they are make these forays into healthcare, education, and they have a better idea. You know, it's like that Ford commercial, or like that car commercial, you know, we have a better idea. Right. Hertz right, right. or whatever it is. Um, and they know how to do this. They're, they're going to they're gonna fix education. First of all, well, we won't talk about what needs to be fixed in education, but they have a better idea. So now the Gates Foundation has funded a project in Massachusetts mm-hmm. to replace university-based teacher education with a whole new system of teacher preparation. Sounds wonderful. All the sound bites are there. Right. You know, we're going to have this, we're going to have assessment, we're going to have accountability, we're going to have an apprenticeship. It all sounds wonderful. There are two problems, uh, more than two, but at least two. Number one, why Massachusetts? Massachusetts has the number one school system in the country, right. is in Massachusetts. Okay. So why not go to Mississippi? Right. Why not go to some place where they really need your help, right? right? The, that's underperforming year after year after year. No, you move into the number one school district in the country. What are the chances of, you know, if I was making the decision, I'd say, where, where's the best chance that we'll succeed? Well, let's go, to the be- let's go to the best educational system in the country. Number one, you go to the best one. That's not where the problem is. Whatever problem you're trying to solve, it probably doesn't exist in Massachusetts because by every measure, Massachusetts is the number one dis- school system in the country. Right. right. And so that's number one. Number two, what problem are you solving in Massachusetts? And number three, why this need to take over teacher preparation? What are, what are teacher preparation programs not doing right now? Right. I mean, as far the last I heard is we're producing thousands of new teachers every year who are pretty competent and pretty dedicated. Right. So again, is it a problem that we need to solve, number one? And why are the why is the Gates Foundation I'm glad that the Gates Foundation got involved in AIDS. Okay. Right. The, the the AIDS researchers needed the money. I want them to be involved in mis- mosquito eradication. That's a health problem that I'm glad they're involved in that. Well you know what I'm gonna jump in right there with is that the difference is, is they jumped in with that, but then the experts in AIDS and the experts in getting rid of mosquitoes, they allowed them to take they're the ball doing, and run. They're doing the work. And, and, I, and it does make me wonder how the Gates Foundation and some of these other groups, how they're involved in these decisions. You know, are, are they saying, are, are, are they actually creating the ideas 
Or is it that somebody comes to them and says, hey, I have this great idea for pre-service teacher education, mm -hmm. and they read it and they say, oh, that's a pretty good idea, and so they throw all this money into it. Right. You know, it, it, is, it is an interesting question to figure out how this happens, because you're right. They don't do that with these other areas. They don't. Mm -hmm. They, you know, Bill Gates doesn't go in and say, "Hey, I know how we're going to." I know how we're going to get rid of eradicate AIDS. AIDS. No, yeah. here's the money. Right. You guys are the experts. You eradicate it. Right. That would be great if right. he came in with no strings attached. And so, but he comes in with strings attached. If you want this money, you have to do this and this and this and this. Okay. Right. You have yeah. to have testing. You have to have accountability. You have to. Again, it all sounds good, but. When it's implemented, it starts to unravel, and it unravels quickly. It unraveled in Hillsborough County with the Gates Foundation, and it unraveled in New Jersey with Zuckerberg's foundation. Well, and I think at its root, I think it's because people view education as easy. Yeah. Right. They, they view it as a, as a um, you know, we, we often, well, some people take offense to it, but, you know, the idea that, like, psychology is a, quote-unquote, soft science. You know, it, it's a way, right. it's sort of a pejorative way to, to say, eh, it's, yeah, it's, kind of it's science. science light. Yeah. Um, but they, I think people see, the, see education the right. same way. Well, it's not really, you know, I mean, you're teaching kids. Mm -hmm. Come on, mm -hmm. you know. How hard can it be? Right. right. So, and, and I think that that's sort of the perspective. And so everybody goes into it thinking, oh, well, I know how to do that. Right. I mean, you just give them the information and just make, the, right. the key is you got to make sure that you just teach them the right information. Right. And, and, and the assumption being that you have the same teacher for 180 days. Right. And that that teacher is always feeling good and has no personal issues and has no personal problems. And that every student in there is really eager and to learn motivated everything. And and, right. you know, if you just do the right... And they don't come from broken homes and nobody's being sexually abused at night by, by a neighbor. And they have and, dinner. you know, <laughs> no one's taking drugs and they're eating properly and their hygiene is good and their health is good. That, that's, those are all assumptions that are being made by these would-be reformers. Um, so that, that becomes an issue is why are these billionaires jumping into education... Um, and, um, and, and this whole Gates thing in Massachusetts, it's a perfect example of that. Why, why are we moving in these directions? Right. Um, you know, there's an organization called the National Council for the Accreditation of Teacher Educators, N-C-T-E, N-C-N-K-A-T-E. N -C -A -T -E. Um, and we have to go through these evaluations. We, um, University of South Florida, College of Education, has to go through these rigorous evaluations, right. um, and we have to be NCAT improved. We have to show that um, that we're, we have standards and we have policies in place, and we do certain things. And that the curriculum to, for training teachers meets a particular meets set of a, standards. Meets that standard, right. okay? So the question becomes: This Gates University that he's building in Massachusetts, these centers—they're called centers, not universities. These centers aren't NCAT approved. Like, again, they're private, so they don't have to live by the same standards right. that the universities have to live by. Right. And why are the accreditation agencies allowing these kind of things to happen? Well, because Gates brings money, right. okay? so they're quiet. You know? right. So um, that's another thing that bothers me. And we, when we talk about this public-private uh, right. difference, you know, if, if, it's good, if, if it's good for the public institutions, why don't the private institutions have to do it? And you say, well, they're privately funded. No, they're not privately funded. They all receive state funds. Right. And, and, and you know, and this is a, 
a, a clear area where, you know, we, we talked before about the purpose of charter schools. This is the clear purpose for charter schools. Right. I mean, you know, if you if you have these innovative ideas, if you have this idea of, you know, I think that teaching this way is going to be really effective and it's going to help students, that's where you have your charter school. Right. You, you have a charter school to do that. And then if it's effective, you, you demonstrate that data. You demonstrate that, yes, this is in fact effective and this is how we can demonstrate that it's effective and this is how we're showing that it's effective because we monitor these students, we monitor these performances. Mm -hmm. And now let's take it and let's replicate it with another right. charter school and then make sure that we can make it happen again with a different set of teachers, with a different set of students. Right. And that's how, that's, that's how research works. Right. And, and to their credit, and giving credit where credit is due, this same bill that had the craziness of transferring kids whenever you want, that same bill had um, a section that favors charter schools for poor and deserving students. Oh. So I applaud the legislature for, and I think Don Getz, the uh, president mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. of the Senate, was instrumental in uh, in passing in getting that through. Right, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Let, let's 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 meet the needs of our most deserving students, and so uh, we applaud you for that. So it's not just criticism; it's gigs and garlands, and uh, that's a garland. Um, so we appreciate the legislature. Um, making that kind of a uh, what we think is a very positive decision because that's how charter schools should work. Exactly, it should be for those kids who are underperforming in our schools. Let's do something different for them. Let's uh, see what can we're work. We're all for it, right. so that you know we we create the charter school mm -hmm. to see if it will work with that population, and then we can generalize right. it to other schools. But they don't have to be for profit. That can be done, you know, as. Um, Mr. Uh, Fryer's school right. that we visited, uh, it can be done within the um, within the ages, within the confines of the public school system. Um, teach us how to do it, right. and then let's adopt those policies across the district. Right, 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 mm -hmm. and and not see it as uh, attacking your con. You know, when we talk to that principal, uh, Principal Fryer, you know. He he's has all these wonderful ideas that have been effective at his school, mm -hmm. yeah. but when he's tried to to share those ideas, uh, he's been uh, kind of have had has had doors closed uh, right. to him, and he's not been able to to do that. So right. now two other two other things. Uh, we how did you title this? The battle continues. The battle continues. The, battle continues. Um, the reason I harp at away at this every week, and um, and I keep banging away at these issues about accountability and high stakes testing and rigor and all that business standards is at some point parents the citizens are going to have to rebel you're going to have to tell your legislators enough is enough leave education to the experts get out of the business you know quit passing these laws and no we're not going to do things that aren't working anymore we're not going to allow you to do this to our children anymore and that's what it's going to require and that's what happened in new york and I, I'm, I'm reading these stories now coming out of new york that um they had a woman one of the great new york philanthropists she was on the board of education state of new york for 20 years mm -hmm. and she was the chancellor since 2009 and she was a big advocate of common core and standards and high stakes testing all that popular stuff right and they pushed and pushed and pushed they got this guy john king that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast they got him elected 
Um, Governor Cuomo, um, right. whom I like for a lot of reasons, was a staunch advocate of all these things, wanted to even raise standards and raise it. He wanted to make it even uh, tougher on everybody. Right. And um, in the past year, um, a woman has been elected, um, we would say a dark horse candidate, has been elected as chancellor, mm-hmm. head of the school board. Um, who is not an advocate of all these things. So in the state of New York, right. they have begun to turn things around and they're beginning to introduce some sanity into the public schools. And I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that New York and California and these, these states that have active um, citizens, citizen groups, um, will be the beginning of a movement away from these things that have been in place since No Child Left Behind in 2001, that that we'll start to topple, we'll start to get rid of these things that we know aren't working, that they're not working for teachers, they're not working for our children, and we'll start to get rid of these things and reintroduce some sanity into this uh, business of education. And I hope New York is in the vanguard, and I hope that's the tip of a much larger iceberg. Well, and I think that, I, I think that, we're going to have to have those kinds of experiences for us to make those shifts. Like uh, I heard starting last year that there's some universities mm-hmm. who no longer require the SAT or ACT. Right. 900. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know, that's, a, that's a really positive move because, again, you know, when we know that the, the actual data mm-hmm. behind those tests Right. And what those tests are supposed to do, and then mm-hmm. what what the actuality, the reality is, uh, to to for some of these groups like some of these universities and colleges yeah. and some of these major school districts to start saying, you know what, no, we've we've had enough of this. You know, we know that there's better ways to determine right. and predict how well students have done, will mm-hmm. do, and are doing right now. When those groups make those stands then we can make better decisions. Then it puts the pressure back on the right. legislators to say, hey, you know, don't just get up there and, and give us lip service. You need to make sure that you're making decisions that are really in the best interest of students right. and teachers. Or have a cutoff score of 1,000. Let's say you take the SAT. As long as you, and that's what it is in many graduate schools. Mm-hmm, you, know? mm-hmm. you have to score a 1,000. If you score a 1,000, you're in. If you score 1,100, 1,200, it doesn't matter if right. you score over that. If you score a 1,000, you're in. Um, and let them sort themselves out after that. Right. You know, that, and that's the way it should be. It, it, it shouldn't be that a person who gets a 1,400 gets preferential treatment for a person who gets a 1,200. Right. Because, you know, what the, what the data says right. is that the, the, um, the prediction. Right. They're not predicting. The prediction load that the SAT offers mm-hmm. is, is very small compared to high school GPA. That's your, your high school GPA, well, and I'm sure that that's going to start changing now that we have all of these, but it's really the unweighted right. high school GPA, GPA. that, that right. is the um, real thing. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you start getting the weighted GPA, that's when you get start getting GPAs of 4. 5.0 <laughs> at, on a 4.0 scale. It doesn't make sense to me. But, um, but yeah, it's the unweighted. But mm-hmm. that's the best predictor. Right. That's the best predictor of how well a student's going to do in college. And that's what the whole purpose of taking the SAT that's was right. meant for. That's all, that's all it should mean is do you have these basic fundamental skills to go to college? Right. But I would say, okay, you don't. But if you want to come in here and try, come on in. Right. Okay. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be a single test at any level. Right. You know, it's like 
um, um, kids who would score like a 900 on the on the uh, SAT, and, and you say, well, it's only 900, they, they shouldn't be admitted. But if it's a highly motivated student right. who's willing to do the work, give that person a chance. Right. That's what it should, it should be based on, that, motivation and drive and all that. Right. Final point, and I think we've talked about this before, but it's related to everything we've talked about today. And it's, it's something that I wish people would start to acknowledge. All of these things that we talk, you know, you and I have said many times, we're not, uh, nobody's opposed to accountability. Right. Nobody's opposed to high standards. Right. Nobody's opposed, okay. Um, got another letter from a listener who's talking about, well, we ought to have high standards. Don't, don't we want to have high standards? And, and isn't it a problem that school has become too easy? That kids are given, you know, I, I'm told, I don't know this as a fact, but I'm told that, you know, there are some high schools that as long as you do your homework and turn your test, you get a C. In the, okay. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, there are some schools that have the, uh, it's a 90-10 rule, where 90% of your grade is based upon your test scores, and only 10% is based upon your homework scores. Right, right. And so, and there's this grade recovery program that right. we have now that you can fail for the whole nine weeks or the whole year, and then at the end you can do some work and you get these grades. You know, again, that's a funny solution right. for a much larger problem. So nobody's... I think everybody is in favor of high standards. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody argues with that, that we should make it as rigorous as possible. But it can only be rigorous for about 60 to 80% of the students who attend our public schools. Right. Because 20 to 30%, and we've talked about this before, where how many go to college? About 60%. Yeah. 40 either can't or choose not to. Right. All right. And, right. and you've heard us say this before, that 40% of students, 20% can't, 20% have problems that are, that are going to interfere, um, impede their ability to go on to post-secondary education, right. to, to, I should say, college or university education. Um, they're just, they, they just don't have that ability. And, and it doesn't matter what we do, they're just not going to be able to do it. Then there's another 20% who choose not to. Right. I'd like for us to move in the direction of let's make high standards for everybody. Mm-hmm. Let's make it rigorous. Get rid of high stakes testing because you don't need it. If you have rigorous curriculum and a rigorous teaching uh, and rigorous, you don't need all the you don't need all that testing and you don't punish. You know, the testing is punishment for, for most right. kids. It's not, it doesn't serve any useful purpose. Um, it, all it does is it is it um, identifies those students who who need to get punished. Um, so let's do away with the, the, the silliness of, of all these things, but let's have high standards. Let's have discipline in our schools. Let's have quiet, orderly, well-run classrooms where everybody can learn. Nobody's opposed to that. But when we talk about that, we're only talking about 70% roughly of any given, uh, class of any given, um, grade. Right. We're talking about 70% of the students. Okay. Let's do that for them. What I'm asking for what most educators are asking for, give us some solutions for this other 30%. Right. And that's what we're ignoring. And right. we continue to ignore that. All the solutions that we're coming up with, high stakes testing, high standards, um, accountability, transferring, privatization, those are not solutions for that. Those, none of those things 
are going to solve the problem of the 30 or 40 percent of kids right. who aren't going to go to college. Let's make it rigorous for one group, but let's serve the needs of the other group. Right. And um, high stakes testing is not going to get us there, nor is accountability, nor any of the reforms that are coming along. Uh, they're just not going to get us there. Right. Yeah. You, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, tracking and, and having, mm-hmm. you know, putting students in, right. in, in a path to where they need to go, whether they're going to go to college or, or, right. or go into profession or go into work. And we still do a, a really horrible job, really, about getting students into trades. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we, we don't... We don't I, educate kids. I, right. I, I don't understand because, you know, being an electrician mm-hmm. is is a valuable, needed, <laughs> and, and can be a, a well-compensated um, job, profession. And, and Secretary um, Stewart, this is where I would take you to task on this one, because when you talk about we have to meet the needs of these children with special needs, this is not the way to do it. What, what we're doing today, the system we have today, is we have a system set up that will allow a sizable number of children to fail. Right. And yet we say, well, you can't start tracking kids into vocational. No. Train those kids to do something. Right. Train those students to do something. Give them what they need as you give this group what they need. Not everybody's going to go to college. Right. We say that, and yet the system is structured only for that group. Right. And the others get dropped out, and they drop out, and they fail. Right. So we should have a system that has that is that wins for college students and wins for those who choose not to go to college. Right. You know, if my children decide not to go to college, the public schools have nothing to offer them. Right. Okay. The fact of the matter is, if my daughter chooses in 10th grade not to go to college, she has no she has nothing to do in the public schools. There's nothing left for her. Right. And we should have a system that that meets the needs of both groups. Right. You know, and I think that this this leads to some of the other things that we we see happening politically because um, you know, there've been the discussions about well, uh, community colleges should be free. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there are people who advocate that. And, you know, one of the points that they make is the fact that the a- at least the AA degree, if not the bachelor's right. degree today, is equivalent to a high school, well, high school diploma, diploma, you know, right. you know, 30, 40 years ago. That's right. And, and I think and I, the AA degree is probably equivalent. Right. And, right. and, and I, I, it's not that I disagree with that at all. Mm-hmm. But the reason that that's the case is because we live under this false impression that everybody needs to go to college, right. that every person needs to have at least an AA degree. And a generation and or two, when I was growing up, if a student decided not to go to college, they got a high school diploma because they went to high school. They mm-hmm. did some minimum. They went to, but there were manufacturing jobs for those kids. Right. My, my classmates who decided not to go to college, they worked in steel mills and manufacturing plants, and they worked at places that paid them a good wage. I mean, I had cousins who worked in car plants, you know, car assembly plants mm-hmm. in Ohio. They made a wonderful living, much right. better than I did as a teacher. They made right. a lot more than I did, and they got benefits, and they got retirement, and they got all... They were never. They didn't go to college, right. but there was a place for them to go after high school. Today, you don't have that, right? And we and we and we look at and and talk about and throw the statistics out about how you know X number of college graduates mm-hmm. you know go out and work outside of their field of study. Well, right. it, it may be because the once the once the um, once we get saturated mm-hmm. in, in particular areas. I mean, you can only have so many accountants right before you know it really just isn't viable to be an accountant because if there are you know 
300 accountants in and your you town. Only need 200. Right. You know, it doesn't matter, right. even if it's a specific trade like that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I think is happening is we're, we're, we're telling everybody, well, you have to go to college. And so mm-hmm. they go to college and they major in something and there are no jobs. Right. You know, right. I, I, I love the idea. I, I, I do. I love the idea of being able to go to college to major in something like history because mm-hmm. you love history. Mm-hmm. But the next question has to be, what are you going to do with that degree? That's right. You know, it's great to study it, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to work at a museum? Are you going to try to be a teacher? Right. And if the answer to both of those is no, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what are you going to do with it? Right. Because right. what's going to happen is you're going to leave college and you're going to work outside of your field, which is fine, but let's not then complain about it. Right. That's right. You know, let's not right. look at that as, okay, well, that's the failure mm-hmm. of the system because, right. you know, they, no. they, they're working outside of their field of study. It's not a failure of the system. No. That person went and they, they continued their education and they explored a, a domain that they're passionate about. Right. But then they had to go out and work. And, and you know, rather than and to legislature, legislators, I would say, instead of coming up with laws that tell us who's not succeeding, which is what the current laws are doing, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're all written to tell us who's succeeding and who isn't succeeding. Right. Well, we already know that. We don't, we don't need another test. Right. You go into any classroom teacher, and in a classroom of 20 students, four will be having difficulty. Right. We've known that for 100 years. And any teacher in the country can say, yes, these four students are having trouble. They don't need a test to tell them that. Okay? So instead of telling us what's wrong, who's not making it, let's put some money and resources into developing a school system that meets the needs of all students, not just those who are going to college. What we have now is a system that says, we're going to set up a system that tells us who's going to go to college and who's going to drop out of school. Right. That's what, we, that's what we've succeeded in doing. And that's not what we should be doing. What we should be doing is we should be developing a system that works for both. We are going to need plumbers and electricians and skilled carpenters and people to maintain roads and buildings and build things and maintain things. We're always going to need that. And our public schools should be training students to do both. Right. Why why we don't have that system that does both, I will never understand. Right. Uh, Because right now we have a system of winners and losers and we ought to be doing better than that. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, bringing it back to our specific topic is it, it does come down to the legislation. That's I mean, right. that's where that's those right. decisions are made. If you're going to make laws, make laws that work for everybody, that right. all of your citizens. You do represent everybody, after all. You know, I think we said that one other time that, you know, anybody who's elected to office represent. Once you're elected, you represent everybody. Right. You might represent your party when you're running, but once you get elected, now you're serving everybody in the country, right. from billionaires to welfare mothers. Right. You're serving everybody, and you have to have policies that are, that are going to work for everyone, not just a group. Right, so, right. Let's start with education. Why okay. not? Why not? It's a good place to start. I'm going to talk about this. we got to have some other kind of schools in this country. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, that's... Any, anything else? No. You're, you're increasing the temperature in the room again. Emma? So... Um, Quick announcement. This matters. A quick announcement. Next week. It's already here. Monday. Next week. Is Monday. It? Next week's going to be a busy week. Next week is a busy week. Monday, March 28th at 6.30 p.m. will be the uh, education forum that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. Right. Um, it's called the Battle Over Standardized Testing, and it's uh, sponsored by uh, our friends at The Ledger. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be at the Polk State 
Oh, Polk State. <laughs> Polk State, Polk oh. State Center for Public Safety at twelve fifty one Jim Keen Boulevard in Winter Haven, um, and it will it's going to have a panel of uh, of some really interesting people, um, including uh, uh, people from the school board, uh, former uh, school board employees, teachers, um, a parent, and myself. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be on it. I'm going to be sitting in one of the chairs up front. So we could talk we'll about some of these things. things. Uh, well, as long as it's small things, it'll yeah. be okay. Um, the the forum starts at six thirty, and so I encourage on Monday. To, on Monday, okay. uh, so I, I encourage people to come out. Um, oh check our our um, Facebook page because we have a, a, a link there. But if you have any questions that you would like for anyone on the um, board to to answer, you know, send a send your question to this email address. Uh, it's Testing, T-E-S-T-I-N-G, at theledger.com. And um, they're going to assign different questions to us so that we can respond to them. And, so I can give you a um, question? You can give me a question. Okay. And uh, that way, uh, we're going to do it that way because instead of trying to take questions at the forum, uh, we're not going to take questions oh, from yeah. the audience uh, only because uh, it allows us some opportunity to get information and research and stuff like that to answer the questions more completely so again that's monday march 28th at 6 30 p.m um i'm really looking forward to it this is going to be I'm this is going to be a great opportunity um and then well you have a workshop that you're doing on wednesday up way up in jacksonville wednesday, northeast florida association of school psychologists wednesday morning wednesday morning yeah 80 or 90 school psychologists it's going to be great part of country Looking forward to that. You're going to make a difference there. Children with emotional and behavioral problems. Yeah. And then on Thursday, I'm doing a workshop for the Where is uh, that? for our Heartland group for the National Association of Social Workers on uh, medication myths and misperceptions. Okay. That's going to be here in Lakeland. So uh, next week is a busy week. My goodness. What else is happening? So um, I think that's it. That's it. So. Um, so stay tuned. We're going to be talking about a lot more things. We have so many things going on and uh, more things. Oh, can I mention one last thing? Um, we mentioned recording. I've been recording all week mm-hmm. a new course that I'm developing um, from the, some, some of the things that you and I have been talking about. And we've put this together, um, a, a workshop. Well, that's not even a workshop. It's a course. It's going to be online at udemy.com is where we're right. going to post it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a course for parenting children with ADHD. Um, right. We've got 20 lessons done so far. And now we just got to go in and, and do some editing and see if we can uh, get it to be engaging and tie it together so that uh, parents will uh, enjoy it. But the, you, you'll be able to purchase the course um, and it'll be about, I think we're right at almost six hours of material that Is I've recorded. It? Yeah, so uh, so parents will be able to get that, and I'm providing some uh, some strategies that parents can start using today in working with their child with ADHD. So really exciting. So keep keep an eye out for that. You can follow us on Twitter, at uh, Dr. Bernie. I've been posting uh, updates, but also on our blog at uh, it's www.thementalbreakdown.com. Uh, that's where I've been posting some updates about that so that everybody can see how things are going and follow us. All right? Okay. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, our blog. Why not follow us everywhere? I We're would, all kinds I of would. places. I would. Um, if you f- listen to us on iTunes, please write us a review, um, comment, and let us know how you think, what you think about the podcast because 
Um, the more you let us know, the more we can refine it and, and tighten things up and make sure that we cover the topics that you're interested in and uh, keep you engaged. And the more that you comment and rate us, the more other people will find us. So Right. I enjoy, um, we're starting to get some comments from listeners um, each week now. It's beginning to increase. And I really appreciate um, hearing from listeners. Yeah. Um, so keep us Keep us in mind. Uh, let us know what you're thinking about and uh, what we might be able to discuss here. Absolutely. So, so until right. next week, I'm Dr. Bernie. I'm Dr. Richard. Have a great week. Enjoy the last few days of your spring break, those of you uh, who are enjoying spring break right now. And uh, good luck on the testing next week for those of you who have to do that. And we apo- yeah, you know. We're sorry that it's happening, but um, you'll do great. And you know what? Things will work out no matter what. All right, see you next week. Bye-bye.